0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 4, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Given the Supreme Court's general lag in terms of recognizing privacy interests in our data, states are moving ahead to the extent possible. Utah is now considering a data privacy protection. Connor Boyack is with the Libertas Institute in Utah. We spoke this week in Dallas. In protecting the data privacy of Americans, states can do more <laughs> as they can with all other rights. They can protect rights more vigorously than the federal government. The feds are supposed to provide a, a baseline protection for rights. So what is Utah doing with regard to data.
1: The, the point you bring up is actually really important because so often I think Americans get into this deferential state when it comes to the US Supreme Court and they think that that is the law of the land and that is how it must be. What's important to recognize is they really only establish a floor below which, uh, you know, you're not allowed to go, but that's not the ceiling. In fact, Justice Alito A few years ago in the Riley case said, and I quote, it would be very unfortunate if privacy protection in the 21st century were left primarily to the federal courts using the blunt instrument of the Fourth Amendment, precisely what we're talking about here. Then he continues, legislatures elected by the people are in a better position than we are to assess and respond to the changes that have already occurred and those that almost certainly will take place In the future, that to me is a huge signal. It's a huge opportunity. The court uh, itself, the Justice Alito at least, has signaled and said, "Stop waiting on us. You know, we have to wait for a case to come up that has the relevant facts and escalate." So, uh, in Utah, there's this bill, House Bill 57. It's called Electronic Information or Data Privacy, and it's basically taking this concept that we saw in the Carpenter uh, Supreme Court case that was just considered. And trying to address that at a state level as it pertains to what's called third party doctrine. In other words, when you transfer information to or through a third party, do you have the same level of, of privacy interest in that data as if you were holding it yourself?
0: And so uh, Justice Sotomayor... Uh, Justice Gorsuch, I believe, or he might not have been on the court at the time. Maybe, maybe he was. Uh, but I know that there is this skepticism toward the third-party doctrine among some corners of the uh, Supreme Court. And of course, the Carpenter case dealt with using cell phone location data. Of mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to argue Mr. Carpenter is a good guy. Right. Uh, but you know, you retain those rights even if uh, even if you're doing untoward things. Uh, the, in order for the state to make its case against you. And uh, with respect to data and the third parties, what kind of data are we talking about here? What is, what is Utah looking at? in terms of trying to protect data privacy and still let law enforcement do its job.
1: Precisely. So the way it's it's currently drafted, obviously, as things go through the legislative process, they change. But right now, uh, the initial draft being proposed says that an individual who transmits electronic information or data to this you know, third party is presumed to be the owner of that information or data. In other words, we are imbuing into that data what we all assume to already be there, this presumption of privacy, which is uh, what the whole third-party doctrine question hangs on, and that is when you surrender, when you transfer your information or data to a third party do you have that same expectation of privacy and we're saying in statute number one yes number two we're saying that you maintain that reasonable expectation of privacy in that data and then number three if the government wants that they have to get a warrant of course this is kind of the central thing that happened in the carpenter case and to answer your question caleb uh, gorsuch was at the hearing where the deputy solicitor general was trying to argue the case and at what point at at one point gorsuch uh you know, tries to address this and asks the Deputy Solicitor General whether the Fourth Amendment protection against unreasonable searches of a person's papers and effects should apply to, in that case, of course, cell phone records, uh, the digital information at issue in the case. So what was really surprising to me was the response of that Deputy Solicitor General. This is what really raised the question mark to say, we got to do something about this at the state level. And this is how the government's attorney responded. He said, It's not your paper or effect. The problem with your hypothetical is that it creates a property interest out of transfers of information. So if you go to someone on the street and you ask them, hey, that thing you uploaded to Dropbox or that you saved in your Google Drive or that text you sent that went through a third-party relay through the cell phone provider, do you think that should be your private data? You know, consistently, people are going to say, yes, they feel intuitively, we feel that we have a property interest in our digital data. Unfortunately, the federal case law has not been great on this in decades past. Carpenter was a good kind of turning point, but nonetheless, it's a floor. And so in Utah, we're trying to, uh, in our state, raise that floor substantially.
0: Okay. So again, what kind of data... Are we talking about here?
1: Absolutely. So, you know, this is going to pertain to effectively any digital data that you uh, create and produce. Electronic uh, information or data in our state has a specific uh, definition. It's defined as, um, you know, very broadly a writing, an image, a sound, an intelligence of any nature transmitted or stored in whole or in part by a wire, radio, electromagnetic, or photo optical system. Basically, it's a catch all provision to say, your MP3s, your photos, your calendar appointments, your Word documents, anything that you are uploading, transferring, sending uh, is now presumed to be your data. It's presumed to be private. The government needs a warrant. Uh, So, you know, you're texting things, you're emailing things, basically the day-to-day use. What this isn't addressing perfectly, and what I think we're going to see get fleshed out potentially through our legislative process, is how this pertains to Metadata. In other words, uh, if I initiate a digital transaction, let's say I do an online banking record, which is how the third-party doctrine really kind of came about in the U.S. uh, Supreme Court precedent. If I uh, transfer something online on my bank and they create a record as a result of that transaction that I initiated, do I have the presumption of privacy in the record that they created about my transaction? We haven't addressed that perfectly, I think, in this draft, and it'll be interesting to see how that flushes out.
0: Okay. So what we're talking about is a state statute uh, that may be adopted that will protect the digital privacy of Utahns, but uh, that, of course, only applies to state authorities.
1: Precisely. State and local authorities. And uh, we did have an initial committee hearing on this uh, over the fall, and it passed unanimously out of that committee. There was actually a very strong appetite. Um, and so we're very hopeful. Uh, this isn't just some cockamamie idea. There's actually been some very warm reception among legislators. But yes, look, this is not a you know federal thing. This isn't going to stop the FBI or the NSA from doing what they do. But to the extent we can, as Justice Alito said, state legislators need to be doing something about this. And the hope is that as As we start to uh, do what I think will be first in the nation in developing some kind of model uh, policy that we can set forth that other states will follow. And then uh, we can kind of through consensus start to build that groundswell that can then pressure the feds to potentially do federal reform as well.
0: Connor Boyack is president of the Libertas Institute in Utah. Now it's time for a special shout out for a big supporter of the Cato Institute, Ira Shapiro. Thank you for your support of Cato and this podcast. Your generosity emboldens our work on behalf of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Thank you. And if you'd like to join Mr. Shapiro with a financial commitment to the Cato Institute, you can visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor.